This is The Definite Article, a show about creativity yesterday, tomorrow, and today. listening to the definite article this is a show about creativity yesterday tomorrow and today i'm robin babb over in chicago and i'm speaking with my friend justin smith over here oh hey how's it going oh hey oh, man I didn't, I didn't see you there <sighs> yeah i cer- certainly didn't through the internet yeah this is this is why we need webcams so we so that i'm not surprised when you when i see you there yeah uh you should definitely get one of those. Invest. I got to make an investment in the in the in the program. Yeah, I'm investing in my father, who told me he would buy me a better headset for my birthday. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> Thank thanks, Robin's dad. Uh, thanks, dad. Okay, we need to stop shouting out to my parents. It's every time we got no, we have to do it every time. That's the rule. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing I'm doing all right. As always, it's warm in the in the swamp here in the district. Hearing everyone today talking about how hot it is here in Chicago, uh, and going outside and it being like ninety is <laughs> <clears throat> is really kind of interesting. Come on, people. Because oh, well, I mean, I don't want to be that person who's like, you have no <laughs> idea what hot is. You don't you don't know from heat. Right, but. I mean, <clears throat> really though. Here in here in DC, where we have wonderful mass transit options, I uh, now do a great deal more walking than I ever did in the vehicle-bound Texas. <laughs> sure. Uh, which means that I'm just sticky everywhere all the time. Every, I should say, I, I'm sticky in all of the locations that I go to. <laughs> um, that's what I mean to say. Is that uh, uh, oh, the places that I go and arrive sticky. <laughs> It just maybe it just hasn't really happened in Chicago yet. Uh, this weekend I will be going to Pitchfork Fest. Oh yeah, which is very exciting. That is exciting. Uh, it also means I will be standing outside for about uh, you know thirty hours a day. We'll see how that goes. Maybe I will you know eat my words. I don't know. How how did we how did we get here? Why are we talking so about that? quickly too? <laughs> Man, it was Sorry, it was Mom. immediate. Uh, yeah. How did how did here? Well, okay. Well, so I actually I I I can I I I can actually I can get us out of this. I can get us out of here, and I like that song. Um, I I can get us out of here. See, because okay, so ostensibly, uh, this evening, uh, we're gonna be discussing kind of these notions, right, of like influence and and originality, mm-hmm. and. It occurs to me, I, I intended to mention this last week on, on the first episode that we did. Uh, I neglected to mention it, and I feel very silly about it. And this is as good a time as any to to mention the fact that uh, one of the biggest influences on me in terms of wanting to do sort of internet programming for entertainment purposes and also to kind of think about questions of creativity and think about these these sometimes difficult notions is an, another program that also tends to start off with the several minutes of what they call shucking and jiving. Um, 
and I, I certainly, it's not by design that I chuck and jive in a manner that's very similar, but um, I suppose sort of the, you know, talking, you obviously know what I'm talking about, but anybody, anybody out there in internet land, your mom particularly, that doesn't know what I'm talking about, um, there's a program uh, called called Back to Work on the Five by Five Network, uh, co-hosted by uh, by a Mr. Merlin Mann and a Mr. Dan Benjamin. Um, and the way that they approach these questions and and the way that they put their program together has been a big influence on me. And as I say, they uh, they open their program almost inevitably just because they are such good friends and are so comfortable talking to each other. It seems like you know they open their program almost inevitably with you know a solid, I think you know hour. <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, of you know discussion about comics and oh god we're gonna have to talk about comics aren't we we oh, oh justin i went uh, to a comic store today uh-huh and let me tell you did you pick up did you get the the trans metropolitan we were talking about that this week well we did i i that was not something i bought actually i have a very reliable friend who is very very into comics and has a really remarkable collection and, you know, all it took was asking him, do you happen to know of uh, this trans-metropolitan thing? And mm-hmm. uh, he arrived at my doorstep with every single issue. Wow. Um, <clears throat> he said that's that it was... That's pretty cool. That trans-metropolitan was one of the reasons he started reading comics in the first place, which I can totally understand already. I'm uh, halfway through the third issue so good it's, it's so good man like i yeah i yeah we love merlin man and dan benjamin mm-hmm. and will definitely mimic all of their shucking and jiving but you should go listen to their show you should you should work. definitely go listen to the program yeah part of the reason i want to bring it up is is because one of the things that i i wanted to discuss today like i said essentially we were talking about influence and and so there's this guy Harold Bloom. If if you don't know Harold Bloom, he's 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 essentially a, a writer. He's he's a he's an English critic. Um, he wrote a, a fantastic book some years ago called The Anxiety of Influence. And in in The Anxiety of Influence, essentially what he what he's talking he's talking about poets in particular. But as always, you know, I I'm sort of of the of the belief that certain ways of approaching the work that we do kind of hold true across disciplines, whether you're talking about poetry or whether you're talking about visual art or whether you're talking about just trying to not suck at whatever you do. And so he's talking about, particularly about poets, but he's talking about how the poet in a poet, this is the phrase he uses, the, the poet in in a poet, the thing that inspires you to write, it, that comes from reading other poetry. And, and, that as a general rule, he says this. This is the way that influence works. He says that as a general rule, the the stuff that you write is going to be derivative of of existing poetry. And so he says that because poets have to, like were sort of charged with this idea of being original, like that you have to pursue something that is uniquely you. You are inevitably more influenced than even really you can control by all of these other poets that have that have come before you and. And so what he calls it he calls it an astral disease he says he says it's like a flu and and the way that you protect yourself against it there are several different uh, approaches that you can take he, he, and I'm not, I don't want to dig into all of them here he, he's got I don't even I don't even want to say if they're they're I guess they're Greek names I don't even, maybe you are you looking at this with me I don't know if if it's I don't know if these are Greek or or Latin. I don't speak any of the any of the dead or 
dead or dying languages. Um, so I'm not sure where where some of these come from. Um, but he's talking about the different ways in which a creative person deliberately kind of reinterprets an existing work in order to create something new. Uh, and so he has these kind of different these different modes that I, that I think are pretty interesting. Um, and, you know, like he, like he talks about the, the, the he calls it the completion and, and antithesis. He says that a, a poet completes the the work of the person that came before him by reading it in a way that retains the stuff in it, but to mean something new, as, as though the person whose work you're continuing hadn't quite gone far enough. Sort of start from where they started and then add on to it. He has this whole list of of, of these different. Uh, these different methods that you can creatively misread existing work. The ideas that he's talking about here uh, make an awful lot of sense to me because, you know, uh, to, to kind of bring it back around to, you know, to back to work and Mer- Merlin and Dan, um, I was sort of inspired to start thinking about the questions that we try to talk about here by listening to Merlin talk about some of these questions too and, th- and thinking, you know, I have thoughts that I can add on to this. And I, I have, I have ideas that, that s- sort of touch on some of these same points, but I think, we, I think maybe I can, I can add a little something to this that comes from my own experience, that comes from my own, uh, from my own challenges and my own background uh, that isn't already contained in, in the original here. So I do get a little, you know, I get a little bit of the anxiety of influence, right? I get a little nervous when we, you know, when we do our shucking and driving at the beginning, I get a little nervous that maybe we're, maybe we're shucking and driving a little too similarly, you know, <laughs> um, that, that maybe we're, and that's, and that's what, you know, that's exactly what that anxiety of influence is, right? Is maybe I'm not different enough from that thing that influences me. Maybe I'm just ripping it off, mm-hmm. you know? To me, this is a really interesting notion. And I love that, that Bloom presents these different these different methods of trying to get beyond it, of trying to create something unique that's, uh, that builds on the people that have come before us. Um, but it definitely, I think, speaks to something I remember you saying last week about, um, about originality. You know, you were talking about how, uh, how originality sort of is, is a, and you didn't quite put it this way. You didn't say it's a bankrupt concept, but that, <laughs> but you know, um, I, yeah, I sort of think originality is, is a, maybe not bankrupt, but, a um, at least limited notion because you're always building on the people that came before you, which really only about the degree to which you acknowledge that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's about the degree to which you acknowledge it. And, uh, I, I think it's also, there needs to be a big removal of that anxiety and removal of guilt of being influenced because I, I feel like there are a lot of people, you know, being being called derivative or being called, um, you know, similar to another artist is, is kind of uh, that's not something you want to be called. Um, it's not a not a compliment exactly, mm-hmm. uh, but like the the biggest example I have, and you know, this this is outside of poetry for sure, but Kill Bill is. Mm-hmm. Beautiful movie, one of my favorites, and is a mashup of dozens of prior movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, like, very unabashed mixing of scenes cut straight from previous movies. Right, right. That being said, it's still gorgeous and amazing, and I would say original. 
the idea the idea of trying to not be influenced mm. is kind of so ridiculous to me. I don't know. It's 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 ridiculous, and I think it's it's kind of disrespectful to previous artists to try to not be influenced by them and to try to get away from whatever their work is. I think probably the biggest difference is that he was lucky enough to lucky enough to, or, or or talented enough and or to get such notoriety. I also think that um like you said he doesn't have that anxiety of influence. I think that's really good and I think that more people should kind of get rid of this anxiety and you know if if you think about maybe all of the things that haven't been created because their potential creator was nervous or or felt guilty about maybe my work is ripping off too directly of such and such mm. that's kind of a shame uh we have probably been robbed of a lot of material that way yeah you know that's that's an, inter- an interesting point you know that yeah how, how much how, how much do people let that that anxiety stop them from creating something that they would otherwise create because they're afraid of of being accused of being derivative or being being accused of being sort of too, too obvious a ripoff, you know? Yeah. Uh, probably a lot. I mean, probably, you're probably a right. lot. I feel like I've probably done that. Um, I know that uh, when when recently I sat down to start writing this story that's been bouncing around in my head. It, I've been reading so much Murakami lately that it came out so much like a Murakami story. Oh, it yeah. was it was pretty ridiculous. So I, I would like to make it a little bit less of a complete rip from him. Well, but. you know, and it's and it's funny because you can it's totally possible to sort of induce that kind of that that kind of thing too like i remember when i was in college and i was um i was taking uh, several courses on on fiction writing and i made a great deal of effort while i was taking those classes to only read like southern gothic writers mm-hmm. um because i because i wanted to because my goal was i want to write like flannery o'connor i want to write like william faulkner oh, you know god um, was hey, hey, hang on, hang on a second, <laughs> hang, just, just, just you wait. I had this sort of intuitive sense that, because I think you know, for the first time it happens to me, you know, have to, having read, uh, you know, probably something like a good man is hard to find, and then writing a story soon thereafter, and I realized it sounded like something that could have come out of that book, um, except you know, a much crappier kind of version of it, um, and and I think. I realized for the first time, hey, wait a minute, you know, I can sort of deliberately do this. If I just sort of consume as much of this stuff as I can, it, it sort of starts to come out, too. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's, it's, in, and I think maybe this is part of the, this kind of plays back into the, the different, uh, the different revisions that Bloom talks about, too, because inevitably in the process of trying to, uh, trying to create something, having already, sort of ingested to I don't know why I'm using so many eating uh, metaphors. <laughs> you hungry? I guess I'm, yeah, I'm a little hungry. I didn't have any I didn't have enough tacos earlier. I only had one. Um yeah. But uh, I think what Bloom is was Bloom is getting at is that you already have sort of ingested all this influence and um 
you know, you're sort of unconsciously going through this this revision process. That to me is really valuable because then you can think about what it is that you're trying to pursue in your creative work and work to produce that by choosing carefully what to what to let yourself have access to, you know? Sure. Uh that's really interesting. So kind of curating your input, curating what what it is that you read, listen to, watch. Yeah, I mean, even even if just for a like just for a limited period, like you know, at one point I was, I was writing this this uh, this other short story, and I made it a point. I made myself a playlist to listen to on repeat while I was specifically while I was writing because I wanted to induce a certain I wanted you know this a certain mood to permeate the writing, and mm. I don't know. Some people might say that's inauthentic, but or some people might say that that's that that's forced. But I mean, I think if it works, then then why why worry about how you got there? I don't I don't think it's forced or anything at all. I think that there's so many artists who I mean when it comes to like remakes of film or especially reinterpretations of things, I think in all cases it's the very material of what you're working with. Uh there's cuz there's kind of a there's kind of a difference that I'm going to try to explain well, I probably won't but that that I'm thinking, which is that when you're writing, you're never writing in a vacuum. You're never writing without mm-hmm. without other writers having existed and right. having influenced you in some way, directly or indirectly. And so you're not writing in a vacuum, and the material of what you're writing, the very content of it, is really kind of coming from what you've read. I think you're kind of kidding yourself if you don't think that. I think that your your worldview and what you think of as art, as creativity, is very much just the content of what you have read. Hmm. Well, see, and you're, you're talking about you're talking about the content of what you have read. Do you want to talk about this Larry McMurtry book that that you were? What's what's this thing called? Walter Benjamin at the Dairy Queen. It's his memoir, or I guess one of his memoirs, semi-memoir. It's not really about him, actually. It's a little bit about him. Uh, McMurtry grew up in Archer County, which is this little nothing town in North Texas. Population, like 9,000 in the entire county. Real tiny. He grew up miles away from anything or anyone. You know, was raised on a ranch. His whole family was cowboys. He was raised to be a cowboy. Mm -hmm. And he became a writer instead. <laughs> Maybe that's a direct contradiction of what I was saying, that you know everything you experience or take in is kind of the content of what you are, what you're creating. Well, but maybe not, because, I mean, talk about the content of what Larry McMurtry created. I yeah, mean, like, exactly. Uh, you know? Yes. All of, all of his novels are very much set in the West, uh, either, either contemporary West or kind of the frontier. Um, and he draws a lot from his own family's history. He's he's done a lot of research into his family's history and the history of his county. And they very much inform what he's writing about. And beyond that, he talks so much about the landscape and the geography of where he grew up and how it's inescapable in his writing. Whenever mm-hmm. he starts describing a setting in any of his novels... 
he always comes back to the hill outside his farm that he used to, you know, herd herd cattle on, and you know the the, the different places in in and around his ranch that he remembered. It's just so ingrained in his like very deep in his brain that he can't escape it. He 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 keeps putting that setting in his books, and I think. You know, that's that's not something he read, certainly. That's not another artist that he uh, was influenced by, but it's certainly a, an example of how much your surroundings or whatever you intake is kind of inescapably a part of what you create. Well, there's this... I was just... I was Googling while you, while you were... Forgive me for Googling while you were talking. <laughs> that's not too rude. But there's this great... Uh, Charlie Parker line. Charlie Parker, the you know the saxophone player mm-hmm. that did the did the, did, did, did the bebop. Uh, the man, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to cut out that uh, that that pop. That's a that's a heavy one. Bebop. <laughs> so there's this great line in this book, Bird: The Legend of Charlie Parker, where he 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 says, "Music is your own experience, your own thoughts, and your wisdom. If you don't live it, it won't come out of your horn." Which has it's been one of my. Hmm my favorite lines for for years because i i think he's getting at sort of exactly what we're talking about you know that what you produce is inevitably the product of your own experience and your own thoughts and your influences which are a part of your experience you know your your influences are just other pieces in your life that you that you experience is you know it's really is really all that all that it amounts to i think sure and yeah, man, he's got. He, this is the thing about you know Charlie Parker. I think he was a, he was a musical genius, but he was. Uh, I'm just looking. At, I'm stuck on the on this wiki quote page now, and there's so many fan, <laughs> there's so many great lines from his. He talk, talks about don't play the saxophone, let it play you. That's one of those like mysterious <laughs> musician lines. I don't even really know what that means, but it sounds great, doesn't it? I don't. I just, it's, it it's, does. It's marvelous. I think that speaks to what you're getting at about about Larry McMurtry in that so much of his work is I don't know see and I feel like saying it's a product of his experience is sort of a trite way to put it because it's it is the product of of, of experience but it's really the it's really the, the synthesis right of of experience it's the reason I like the Charlie Parker line how it, com- it comes out of your horn because it makes that metaphor right really clear because everything has to be forced through that reed and out of out of the bell of out of the bell of the saxophone you know mm-hmm. um all the all the experience inside comes through that tiny reed and then it comes out the the bell of the horn and and so that that i think really clearly sort of illustrates the way that this stuff functions right because it's it's all locked in you but when it's coming out it, what's coming out is this combination of the things that you've experienced right yeah, no, I really like that you use the word synthesis too. Uh, I was I was kind of gonna go in that direction and use kind of chemistry m- terminology that I don't really understand fully, uh, but hope it maybe gets across the idea I want, which was which was that you know I keep talking about how the things that you read or experience are the content of what you're creating, um, and maybe a way to think about it is is like. Um, what you're what you're reading, listening to, watching is kind of all the atoms. It's all of the material stuff, and maybe your your own influence, your own voice, and whatever that material is, is kind of the catalyst that makes that thing turn into a beautiful diamond. 
or uh, whatever other things happen when chemicals make stuff. One of the other things that you pointed out uh, that you sort of brought to my attention when we talked about how we were going to be discussing sort of influence um, was this everything is a remix documentary series. Mm-hmm. Um, other people haven't seen these. Do you want to tell people what, what this series is about? Yeah, yeah. If You, you can go to, I think it's everythingisaremix.info um, and see these really nice little documentary videos. Uh, they're each, like, what, 12 minutes long they're, or thereabouts. Um, yeah, they're shorties. Yeah, they're 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 shorties. There are four of them. Uh, the guy who does these is Kirby Ferguson, and he talks about the idea of originality and of kind of a lot of what I've been talking about. How impossible it is to be in a creative vacuum and still create, um, and how uh, how how being influenced is kind of so maligned socially, but maybe perhaps isn't such a bad thing uh which was was kind of where i started getting that whole idea and i really really enjoyed all of these uh you should go check it out everything is remix.info super hey, bright you, guy and do, do you know where else people can can find that link uh i do justin you should, uh, you should tell people you can find this link at hustine.net backslash TDA backslash two, that which, is accurate. which is the number, which is the episode we are uh, currently recording. Justin, did you see me? Did you see me making fun of you on my website earlier this week? No, I didn't see that. Oh, <laughs> okay. I was I was further making fun of your uh, your. You're whipping out a 25-page PDF oh. to impress everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's I I I read I read, I read a lot of books. That's the that's the thing. I that's yeah. not true. I don't read, I don't read any books. I just watch I, documentaries. <laughs> uh, well, I I was thinking about this notion of of love and theft. Have you have you ever heard of this of this kind of kind of notion before? Love no, and theft. No, I have not. Well, so it's. Um, um, among other things, it's it's also the name of a Bob Dylan album. Um, but um, the irony of the title, there were actually allegations that some of the lyrics on the album had been plagiarized from a from a Japanese writer. Um, You're kidding? Yeah, yeah. That's the you know, and I think that uh, this was very sort of deliberate on Bob's part. And, and obviously, he's a guy that you know for for four decades has been making music that was deeply influenced by and sort of updates of already existing musical styles mm-hmm. um and love and theft the album uh is very much sort of a continuation of that it's sort of it, it's actually sort of like his uh like a vaudeville album like when you listen to it you feel like he's up there on stage in like a top hat with a cane sort of sort of you know sort of dancing around oh, weird. um and yeah it's very sort of sort of showy you know um, uh, you know, almost has kind of a, I don't want to say show tunes because that's not quite it, but it's mm-hmm. got a very sort of theatrical vibe to it. So you very much feel like you're watching, like you're you're listening to a performance, you know. Um, and um, it, it, but he and he says that the title of the album was inspired by this book uh, by a historian named Eric Lott, a book called Love and Theft: The Blackface Minstrelsy in the American Working Class. Um, 
and he talks about how the the myths and the mysteries and the folklore of the South become the backdrop for this uh, you know for this record because the lyrics are very much about the sort of the sort of mythos of the South uh, and he's talking about you know the places the music that he loves and often steals from you know where it came from and and the culture that it grew out of i think it very much sort of plays into this conversation too um you know because it's i think it's bob very deliberately acknowledging uh the sources of his influences and talking about how the process of uh of reinterpreting those influences can sometimes be seen as as malign right it can sometimes mm-hmm. be se- be seen as appropriation even um but i i think that i think that i mean i think the fact that a guy like Bob Dylan is being is willing to even try to start that conversation which I think I think very clearly he was you know by by calling the album that and by making it what it was um I think a guy trying to start that conversation is a guy still worth paying attention to you know sure because um, he's still trying to st- still trying to do uh interesting and and compelling stuff about th- the way this process works about how the things that we love can can affect what we make instead and I think that you know, two things, two things that you're making me think of is it kind of has just occurred to me that, you know, I think we have a double standard when it comes to copying things or or being influenced by things because we are so tolerant of covers of songs that we love. Uh, mm-hmm. Man, Fiona Apple has a great cover of Across the Universe. Paul Thomas Anderson did the music video. It's brilliant. And the other point I was going to make is that I think that in in a way by copying or taking from these previous artists, not only is it kind of paying homage just by saying, hey, I respect your work enough that I'm going to so boldly take from it and, you know, work it into my own creative work. It's also, at least if, at least if that artist is credited in some way, you really are not only giving them credit, but giving them an audience that they might not have had before. Uh, like, you know, going back to the example of Kill Bill, um, I, I I knew that movie was a mashup before, but it was of movies I had never seen before. Uh, right. So it, that, that notion was kind of wasted on me. Um, but when I watched the Everything is a Remix videos that talk about Kill Bill a lot... Um, they, you know, they show clips and they mention all the movies that, uh, that Kill Bill took from. And now I'm really interested in going back and watching those movies. Uh, cause f- for sure I want to know what Tarantino was watching when he made Kill Bill. Uh, and so I think that, you know, these are, these are just kind of two reasons why taking, taking influence from another artist is just, it's really kind of silly that we look at it as such a such a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I I think we should be willing to embrace the fact that influence is inescapable, and I think we should instead sort of orient ourselves towards expanding on our on our influences. You know. Rather than trying to ignore it, I think we should be trying to work with it and, and try to find ways, try to explore avenues that our influences haven't explored, and try to try to 
do some of these, you know, deliberate misreadings that Harold Bloom talks about so that we can go in new directions that our influences might not have gone in. And yet we wouldn't even know to go in those directions if we weren't starting with our feet planted in those influences. You know? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think we, we need to be willing to acknowledge it because we can get further if we know where we're starting from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It looks like we're once again over over the time that we set yeah, for we ourselves gotta, we gotta we gotta keep uh, keep keep time as well as uh somebody that that keeps good time that keeps good oh. time yeah who keeps I, I, well, I'm, I'm thinking of you know you, you know you know the joke about um you've got santa claus in one corner and the easter bunny in another corner and a drummer that keeps good time and a drummer that keeps bad time and there's a there's a candy bar in the middle of the room and so the question is who gets it it's the drummer with bad timing because none of the others exist. Yeah. Yep. 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 Well, I I, I enjoyed doing doing a second one of these things. This was I I look forward to doing the third one. This is this is this is still fun. It's still fun. Hey. Yeah. Still is. What? Let's allot a certain amount of time next week to talk about comics. <laughs> okay. Because. Um. We're we're gonna we're gonna take where Merlin Man left off and go further. <laughs> we're right. you know what this whole experience is really bringing out my inner nerd, Justin. <laughs> your your inner nerd is, was it hiding? It, it hey you know what <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> okay, uh, well it was uh, good talking to you and it was good I talking to you. I look forward uh, as always to doing this next week. Yeah. Yeah, you uh, you stay cool over in over in Chicago. Be not sweaty over in DC. Sticky. Sticky. Ugh. Gross. <laughs> I'll see you. Bye bye.